This is the AgroInnovations.com podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Here we are with part two of our interview with uh, Luisa Mafi of Terra Lengua. Uh, in part one, we talked about biocultural diversity, and we honed in on languages as kind of a, a surrogate for uh, biocultural diversity. And we took a good look at what is happening with languages, as Luisa said in part one of this interview. Uh, between 50 and 90 percent of the world's languages could disappear uh, sometime within our lifetime, or certainly within the lifetime lifetimes of uh, our children or our grandchildren. And so the world's languages are in a crisis. And in part two of this language, we talk about, of this interview, we talk about some of the things communities are doing to conserve and preserve languages. Thanks, Luisa Mafi, for participating in the Agro Innovations podcast. And forthcoming, we have uh, some podcasts in Spanish, and I will talk more about that in the conclusion of uh, this episode of the Agro Innovations podcast. So thanks for listening, and enjoy the interview with Luisa Mafi. Another experience, personal experience, that I, I'd like to draw on uh, to, to bring into this conversation, I've spent a lot of time... Uh, in Bolivia, South America, mm -hmm. as a, a lot of people that listen to this podcast probably know, and a, mm -hmm. a language that I've spent a lot of time uh, listening to and, and studying and speaking is uh, Quechua, which is the mm -hmm. language of the uh, Incas. And now Quechua, it yeah. turns out, is uh, the third largest language in South America. It has about 10 yeah. million speakers. Um, mm -hmm. But there's a phenomenon that occurs with Quechua that, that I call amalgamation, Essentially, yeah. and you've probably seen this with the Mayan language as well, where so many words uh, that, for whatever reason, uh, just don't exist in Quechua or have been forgotten in Quechua, uh, the Spanish mm -hmm. word gets replaced. So now yeah. a lot of the times when you hear Quechua being spoken or you speak Quechua, it will be uh, very mixed with Spanish. In some cases, even yeah. up to 50% of the words yeah. are, are Spanish yeah. words. So um, yeah. to what extent do you see this process uh, playing out with other languages? And, um, you know, how much of a factor is this, this amalgamation process? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, with languages in contact, which has happened, uh, you know, all along in, in, in human history, uh, some borrowing um, t tends to happen precisely uh, b because, you know, a certain object uh, is imported or, or, you know, begins to be used by, by, by another group, and they didn't have that object, therefore they didn't have a name for it, and they will uh, start using the word from the, the, the other, the language of the other group that they have imported that object from. Or uh, you know a new concept uh, it, it gets imported the same way. So some borrowing is really very very common uh, in 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 all languages, but uh, it, it's it's uh, really a matter of proportions, I guess. When when you begin to get uh, you know 50 percent of uh, uh, of the of the words or or other you know features, including especially grammatical features. Uh, of a language are, are actually I imported from another language, then uh, you begin to see the characteristics of, of a pro process that is called language shift. Uh, 
the, the more, the, the, you know, the, the larger this, this phenomenon of, of uh, importing or adopting uh, words and grammatical features from other languages and replacing uh, uh, the features of your own language with, with those from another, um, the, the, the greater is the, is, is the process of language shift. And, and in the end, you may, you may end up with, with the opposite situation in which maybe 90% of, of the language is uh, now the imported language and uh, with, with a little peppering of, uh, of words from the original language. And, and that is what has happened in, uh, in a lot of uh, native languages in North America where um, some, some um, very culturally significant words may, may still be preserved in, in, the, uh, in the native language, but uh, most of the rest is, uh, is English or, or, you know, to a lesser extent, this is happening at least as yet to a lesser extent in the Spanish-speaking world, especially in, in, uh, in the English-speaking world that native languages have uh, undergone so much shift. And indeed, um, uh, the United States and, and Australia are the the two countries in the world where the largest number of uh, native languages are no longer spoken from the pre-colonization time. So colonization in in, in those uh, in those countries has had a very strong impact on uh, on native languages. And 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 again, as I was saying before, a lot of that has to do with the residential schools and. Uh, the prohibition uh, of uh, the use of, of the native languages uh, um, for children uh, going to those residential schools. And, and the very fact that they were separated from their parents, uh, if they couldn't talk uh, to their peers in their own language and they couldn't talk to their parents because the parents uh, were somewhere else, uh, then that, that process ha happened really radically and, and uh, led to a loss of a lot of uh, native languages. Yeah. Now, um, it it kind of surprises me sometimes. Uh, going back to the to the Quechua example, um, mm -hmm. in the Misque area in in Cochabamba, Bolivia, um, I, mm -hmm. I guess the the Quechua has been a lot more mixed with Spanish than in some of the places mm -hmm. around Cusco, Peru, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but I I push people on this sometimes. Like the word for brother is just you know hermano, the the word for brother mm -hmm. in Spanish. Um, and and fish is pescado, which is the word for fish in Spanish. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I mean, these are not. It, 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 this is not television or computer or car. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are words that these uh, traditional cultures, you know, used at one time, and they're and they're just for whatever Absolutely. reason disappearing. And so when I when I push people on, you know, what is it? How do you say this? And they don't they don't tend to know. And then I'll look mm -hmm. it up in a dictionary or something and. They'll say, well, if if you start trying to talk like that, people will just make fun of you and ridicule you because that's that's boring to them or, or something. Yeah, but yeah. but that's, I mean, right. the the ball is in their court too. You know, I mean, if if they they have to take some responsibility for conserving their language as well. Absolutely, and of course, you know that that is also happening a lot. There there are uh, incredible examples of of communities. Um, uh, setting out to to uh, revitalize and, and and relearn and reteach uh, th their languages and uh, you know some um, 
amazing cases for for instance for for native californian languages uh, which uh, you know in california was uh, of all of North America, the the uh, the area with the, uh, the largest diversity of of native languages, and uh, and it's also the area where most of them uh, are either uh, seriously endangered or or have um, de facto uh, disappeared, at least as spoken languages. But um, what has happened is that you know, linguists in in the uh, in the nineteenth and, and early twentieth. Uh, century had, had uh, documented uh, many of these languages, and so there are these written texts, uh, in some cases recordings, and uh, the, the, the Native Californian language revitalization movement has led to um, the, the former speakers of, of these languages to, to go to museums, archives, and other repositories at universities and then wherever, uh, and, and start digging out, uh, digging up these these um, records, and uh, and try to reconstruct uh, the way languages were spoken. And uh, in, in some cases, uh, the, the the only way of of doing that was to put all the data on a computer and have the computer talk to you, and, and try to talk back to the computer, and uh, or, or you know identifying the last two or three elderly speakers. Um, of the language and, and uh, establishing uh, teaching programs. Uh, some of the most successful ha- have been the uh, uh, so-called master apprentice uh, programs, where the elders agree to be mentors uh, to the uh, younger uh, members of, of the community who are not uh, native speakers of their mother tongue, and uh, do a, essentially a full immersion camp where the elder uh, speaks uh, the, the native language and they do uh, all activities in the native language and uh, it, essentially young adults start learning the same way as they would have uh, started learning as infants by just being immersed and hearing the language all the time and seeing all the activities that that, that, that happen and, and sort of capturing uh, the, 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 the meanings from, uh, from the context, what, from what's happening around them. And in some cases, some of these people have become fluent enough that they can now uh, teach uh, directly uh, their own children. So there are there are examples of, of uh, revitalization uh, that have been very successful. And in other cases, it may, it, the native Hawaiian language is another case that the language had almost uh, disappeared. And, uh, and, and then... Um, uh, Hawaiians started uh, establishing uh, what they call language nests, um, w- which which are um, uh, kindergarten or uh, preschools where the children uh, are completely immersed in the uh, in the native language, and uh, and, and they have therefore learned uh, uh, the language as their mother tongue. And now uh, Hawaii has uh, has the the, the full complement of of. Uh, uh, school education uh, from from kindergarten all the way to university uh, in uh, in Hawaiian, so that that has been a, a, an extraordinary and 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 and, and large scale example of language revitalization. The Maori in in New Zealand have have uh, done uh, something similar with the same principle of the language nest, and uh, it's happening more and more as as. Uh, Native communities get to the point when, when where they 
um, uh, acquire consciousness of uh, of what has happened and what has been lost in the process, and much of that is is really related to to, to regaining uh, identity and to 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 making land claims or or uh, other claims to 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 uh, um, reacquiring their 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 status, and 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 uh, so there's a lot of that happening. But of course, it's a it's an uphill battle when when uh, it, the language has been weakened a lot or or has uh, completely stopped being spoken. But it, it seems so much like what what you're saying. It it kind of comes down to to values and where we place our values and where we what what yeah. we think is important and uh, mm-hmm. you know to what extent we wanna we wanna focus on that and and revitalize it and and it seems to me that uh, you know some of these communities like Hawaiian like you were saying. Or, or some of these mm-hmm. languages in California that that are just highly endangered, if not uh, no longer spoken. Um, yeah. Maybe it's one of those cases where you don't realize what you have until it's gone. And so um, yeah, sometimes yeah. Go ahead. Sometimes that's the way it goes because uh, um, it's so easy to think that well, you know, we parents are still speaking the language with our children, so our children will learn. If the children uh, go to school as uh, you know, form, uh, receive formal education, uh, as most of them do now around the world, and the school system uh, is not based on the native language or native uh, uh, history and culture or, or uh, anything about the culture, uh, the, the children are going to learn a majority language and, uh, and, and progressively lose touch with their native language. Um, or in some cases, there there is what, what what's called um, early exit bilingual education. That is, um, the the school will accept the principle that children learn to read and write more easily if they do so in their mother tongue, the language that they learned uh, as as, uh, as as infants. But um, um, that process, that principle is applied uh, for as short a time as possible, maybe the first year or two uh, of, uh, of elementary education, and then um, the school switches to whatever the majority language is, English, Spanish, etc. And, uh, and so the native language is only used as a bridge uh, toward the acquisition of the majority language, and then... Uh, uh, from then on, there's nothing left in the curriculum. And uh, um, linguists who, who, who specialize in, in language education have, have really uh, um, shown very clearly that uh, for, for, for the full development and deployment of, of the potential of, of a child, the, the continued uh, teaching and use of, uh, of the native languages is really fundamental. And, and also that that doesn't prevent at all. It's not an obstacle for a child to learn other languages. Bilingualism and multilingualism are actually extremely common in 
uh, non-literate societies uh, where uh, you, you are very likely to, to learn, the, at least uh, have some fluency in the language of uh, a neighboring group because uh, you trade with them or uh, in, in some cases uh, there are also rules of marriage with other, with other group, neighboring groups. And, and uh, um, so multilingualism has been extremely common in, in, uh, in human history. Uh, the, the idea of monolingualism in in in, in, uh, in a majority language really has uh, has come with the, the the formation of nation states that have adopted the idea that you know one nation one language and they have enforced that in educational policy. But from from a cognitive point of view, from the point of view of human development, really multilingualism is uh, is beneficial, not detrimental. Uh, cognitive psychologists have shown that uh, uh, speaking more than one language uh, really develop your, your cognitive ability and agility and uh, that does not prevent you from, from, uh, from learning, uh, but, but uh, really opens up more channels from, for learning uh, because you have to operate in different uh, sort of cognitive contexts. Um, so bilingualism or multilingualism is good for you, and uh, it's been very common in, uh, in human history. And uh, so we have just this, uh, um, on, on, a, on, a, on a scale of human history, monolingualism has had a short history, and, and uh, uh, hopefully we can uh, again understand uh, this value of diversity, including, uh, including you know, a multiplicity of languages, learning a multiplicity of languages as an asset rather than a threat. Right, and and when you say that uh, that having different languages increases things like cognitive agility, and you know, mm-hmm. it occurs to me that that if, when I'm speaking another language, um, you know, particularly when I'm speaking it well, I don't necessarily feel like a different person, but I feel like a whole different aspect of my personality is is developed or or comes out because there's so many cultural assumptions and things you can say or can't say. In a certain language that you that you could or, or that you couldn't in, in a different language, so exactly. it's it's exactly. really uh, quite a phenomenon, and it, it always baffles me when I see these people on television screaming about how English has to be the official language of the United States, and oh yeah, um, you know I, I just I just don't feel that emotional attachment to you know having an official language. Um, yeah, no, and, 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 and again, it, it's uh, it, it's not uh, a matter of either or. Uh, it's it's important and useful to have a language of of broader communication, and and English uh, has affirmed itself uh, unquestionably as uh, as the, the the key language for 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 global communications. Although you know now uh, with the um, with the development of uh, uh, more multilingual tools for the internet, for instance, there's uh, there's been a surge of uh, website and chat rooms and whatnot in many different languages. So um, even the, uh, the 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 predominance of English as a global language is not is not assured. These these phenomena are so fluid, and we can't really predict everything. But uh, uh, if if Tools are out there, such as the, the ability to communicate and, and, and write in different languages on, t- on the Internet. People are going to jump on it. And uh, so the, the, the Internet itself is becoming more multilingual. And, and uh, so these are really fascinating phenomena to, to follow. There, there, there are uh, 
certain trends that go in, in, in a certain direction right now, and, and there is no doubt that the uh, movement so far has been toward the loss of, of, of uh, the smaller languages and, and uh, the, the expansion of the reach of the larger ones. But, uh, but, but there's uh, also signs uh, going in a different direction in this uh, language revitalization movement and, and the, uh, the, uh, the ability for people to use uh, technology also in support of their own languages. Now, um, we hear all the time about global warming and uh, to a lesser extent, but, but we do hear about it, uh, the, the massive extinction of biodiversity that is currently underway. Yeah. Uh, but we hear almost nothing about this loss of languages. Why? Well, because maybe it's something more more abstract. Uh, that you know, we tend to take languages for language for granted. It's something that uh, comes uh, so natural. At least you know, the, learning our, our mother tongue comes so natural that that we don't really think about it. We don't think what language does for us. And, uh, and, and uh, we, we need a lot more awareness raising, and that's uh, certainly what Terralingua does day in, day out, uh, so that uh, more and more people will, uh, will understand uh, what the value of, of language and of linguistic diversity is, and, um, and really start caring. Biodiversity itself, the idea of, of, of uh, the diversity of life in nature and, and what was happening to it and, and why we should care, it didn't, it didn't really happen overnight. Uh, people were, were, were starting noticing uh, you know, this extinction crisis a uh, decade before the uh, general public became aware, and now you, you read it in the news every day, and people are, are uh, beginning to, to uh, be concerned about it. And uh, it will take uh, some time for, for uh, the, the idea of cultural linguistic diversity and, and how that is, is important to all of us as part of our heritage and, and as part of, of, of what makes humanity strong and resilient to, to also be understood. And that's, that's why Terralingua is, uh, is uh, here and, and uh, working w w with other organizations uh, that have similar goals to, to uh, uh, make an impact and, and get larger organizations, governments, um, international agencies to, uh, to really take this on board and, um, and act. Um, let me ask you, uh, this is uh, a more personal question, but how did you get involved mm -hmm. in the conservation of languages? Well, uh, I, I have a uh, sort of uh, um, uh, varied background. My, my, uh, my initial uh, background is as a linguist, uh, a BA in linguistics from the University of Rome, where I was born and grew up. Um, and uh, so the passion for language and languages was, uh, was there first. Uh, but, but then, um, by doing linguistic field work, I, I really uh, became interested in culture as well and the way uh, language and culture are, are related, how uh, cultural values, knowledge, worldviews are expressed uh, and, and, and transmitted through language. And so I started looking at those connections. And then I guess the, the environmental aspect came in um, when I was doing my, my doctoral field work uh, in, uh, in Mexico with Mayan people, as I was saying earlier. Um, I was studying traditional medicine and uh, looking at how people thought of uh, health and illness. 
And uh, I noticed that the way people talked about uh, the human body and what, what uh, a healthy body is uh, was pretty much the same way uh, as they talked about the land and what healthy, fertile, um, productive land uh, is. There were ideas of hot and cold, that the human body had to have a balance between hot and cold, and, and they had the same uh, idea about the land. Um, they applied concepts directly derived from the human body to, to aspects of the land, and I became interested in that connection. And uh, so I, I got more and more into what you call um, ecological anthropology and uh, studying uh, human relationships with the environment uh, in different cultures and how, how people uh, see their, their, their place in nature and their relationship with nature. And uh, so from, from all these different pieces of, 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 my, of my background, uh, then I started becoming aware that, uh, that uh, biologists were talking about the crisis of biodiversity, anthropologists about vanishing cultures, and uh, linguists about endangered languages. And I started thinking, uh, wow, uh, maybe all these things are related. Uh, globalization, uh, you know, social and, and, and economic and political change, um, Maybe are at the, at the root of all of these these uh, extinction crises. But people are not uh, making those connections. They're not talking about it. They're not talking to one another across disciplines. And uh, so maybe something needs to be done. And that's uh, uh, that's how the, the idea of Teralingua came came about. Now. Some people that are listening to this, um, you know, maybe mm -hmm. somebody is getting uh, pumped up about this idea or or just about the conservation of languages and cultural diversity yes. in general. Uh, what recommendations do you have for people? How can they get involved? What can they do to help uh, conserve languages? Well, uh, one thing that they can do is to, to go to Terralingua's website, which is www.terralingua.org. And, and Terralingua is uh, T is in Tom, A-R-R-E-R-R-A-L-I-N-G-U-A, -E um, and uh, learn more about uh, biocultural diversity in the world's languages, and uh, maybe uh, they will be uh, interested enough as to become, uh, become members. And uh, uh, we, we are launching a, a big membership campaign uh, in the next uh, few weeks, and uh, want to reach as many people as possible. So uh, we would certainly welcome any and all of uh, the people who are listening uh, now to, to uh, uh, become members and become involved. And there are many ways in which they can do that. Uh, we have a Get Involved page on our website that uh, suggests ways in which people can um, uh, contribute to, to, to our work and contribute to our goals. And, uh, and of course, it's, uh, it's also... A, uh, up to, to uh, individual creativity uh, to, to uh, uh, come up with ideas, and we, we welcome all kinds of new ideas. Um, and, and there are other uh, organizations that, that work for language maintenance and, and, uh, and revitalization, uh, language documentation. So if any, any of, our, of our listeners are um, inclined to get into the study of linguistics, uh, to, to, to uh, do studies of, uh, of endangered languages and help document uh, and, and uh, maintain and revitalize uh, the world's languages, that would be a very worthy goal. 
and uh, there are an increasing number of, of programs in, in North America, in, uh, in Australia, in, in, uh, in Europe uh, that, that do that, and um, small but growing number of foundations that, that also support that kind of uh, documentation and revitalization work. So uh, it's, it's possible for, for, for students to, uh, to, to even get support uh, to do work of that, uh, of that nature. So um, I certainly hope that, that, that people will uh, have become enthused enough that they uh, will look into it and uh, want to learn more. And anybody is welcome to, uh, to write to us uh, with, with questions and uh, uh, comments, suggestions, um, and, and ideas. And we will link to uh, terralingua.org on our uh, podcast webpage. Um, mm -hmm. I would also encourage people to to go out and and learn a language. Um, you know, if 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 oh. someone out there is listening and they yeah. and they haven't uh, taken that that step yet to learn another language, uh, you know, dive right in and do it because uh, it's it's really worthwhile. Um, Absolutely. And is is there anything that um, I should have asked you or didn't ask you that you would like to uh, talk about? Well, this was a very, very thorough and, and uh, well thought out uh, interview, I would say. So uh, I can't think of anything more. And I just want to thank you for, for this opportunity. And again, uh, uh, invite all of our listeners to, uh, to uh, learn more and uh, become involved. That is the end of the interview with Luisa Mafi. That was part two. Uh, if you didn't catch part one, uh, you can find it on uh, agroinnovations.com slash podcast. And I really enjoyed this interview in particular uh, because languages are a, an area that is near and dear to my heart. And I hope um, that we can do more to conserve and preserve the world's languages. I want to thank Louisa Maffi not just for participating in the interview, but I want to thank her for uh, being a pioneer and uh, doing all the hard work in the field and with through within and through her organization Terralingua to do the best that they can to conserve and preserve languages and biocultural diversity. This is the Agro Innovations Podcast. We have a series of shows in Spanish coming up. One will be on uh, beekeeping, uh, particularly beekeeping in Bolivia. Agro Innovations is, is doing a project in, in Bolivia, and we'll speak with uh, the project director in uh, Agro Innovations Bolivia, Grevi Kayavi, about that. And also uh, another podcast with Grevi Kayavi will be about ferro-cement, and uh, Agro Innovations Bolivia is doing another project uh, in the construction of a ferro-cement tank. And so anybody that is interested in that, who is a fluent Spanish speaker, or who wants to brush up on their Spanish, stay tuned. Those will probably be uh, on the website shortly within the next week or two weeks. Uh, and I want to conclude by saying that we want to hear from you. As always, please send us your comments, send us your emails, let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear. Uh, you can email us at podcast at agroinnovations.com. Our site also has a uh, comment form uh, for any of the given podcasts on the website. So let us know. Uh, please get in touch with us. I've been in touch with some great people through the podcast, and I, I want uh, all of you to uh, reestablish contact with me. Or uh, if you haven't 
made contact with us yet, please go ahead and do so. I will do my best to get back to you, um, and I will read your comments on on the podcast as well. This is the AgroInnovations.com podcast. I'm Frank Aragona. Till next time, saludos.